This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Hi, hey, you're listening to the Bite Size Business Breakfast Best Bits from Tuesday, February the 6th, where we caught up with KP, that's Dr. Krishna Prasad, who's the Managing Director of Asta Marine Cargo. He was kind enough to come into the studio, talk to us about the Red Sea developments at the moment. That's having a knock-on effect, uh, obviously, with traffic through the Suez Canal. Uh, and when there's a lack of traffic through the Suez Canal, that means lack of revenue for the Suez Canal Authority and for Egypt as a whole. So uh, what sort of impact is it having at the moment? Uh, and what is the likelihood of this getting sorted out anytime soon? A couple of the questions we put to KP. Greg Hughes also joining us a little earlier on. Uh, Greg is the IPO and transaction diligence leader at Ernst & Young MENA region. Uh, he was looking at the IPO pipeline Not an actual pipeline, but a metaphorical pipeline looking at the potential of IPOs or initial public offerings in 2024. Uh, The MENA market saw 48 IPOs in 2023. They raised over $10 billion in total. But um, what's the pipeline look for this year? Is it going to continue suit or is it going to be a little bit of a slowdown? We've got more insight on that. Christopher Payne, the Chief Research Officer at Coldwell Banker, Saudi Arabia was also kind enough to join us live on the line from the kingdom today. Why talking Saudi business and the conditions over there? Some interesting numbers coming out, the PMI numbers and the other numbers. Um, making for, well, begging a few questions that uh, Chris was more than happy to answer with regards to the outlook of the Saudi economy moving forward. All these stories and more right here on the Bite Size Business Breakfast podcast. Let's have a look at some of the big things that we have been discussing throughout the course of this morning. Richard Dean's been looking at the I to the P to the O because apparently there's a few in the pipeline. Is that right? There are indeed 29, count them. According to the guys at EY, the consultancy, here's the deal. They put together a report every quarter every year about IPOs in the Middle East and North Africa. They look back at the year that was and look forward to the year ahead. And they say it's healthy for this year. We caught up with Gregory Hughes from EY. He's the IPO and transaction diligence leader. So who better to speak to? We asked him, looking ahead to the next 11 or so months, what's going to be the story of 2024? So I think the pipeline for 2024, Richard, look, looks very strong. Of the deals that I'm aware of, that you know, we're looking at offerings across a whole raft of different sectors. So you have companies in the consumer products and retail sector, in real estate and construction, technology, which is great to see, transportation and logistics, healthcare, and also potentially education. And there is a significant amount of IPO readiness and preparation activity, which is happening at the moment in the MENA region across companies of all shapes and sizes and sectors as I mentioned. Uh, we've seen a good start to the year already, uh, obviously with the NBC listing, I think raising over $200 million and Avalon Pharma uh, also listing in the, in, in the kingdom. So a positive start to the year. Right then. So it's going well. In Saudi Arabia and the UAE, we know that. He mentioned NBC there. That's more than doubled since its IPO. Pure Health here in the UAE, not quite uh, doubled. Uh, IPO offer price of three point. 26 dirhams a share, closing yesterday 4.75. A very healthy gain in just a few weeks. But Saudi Arabia and the UAE are kind of the powerhouse economies of the region. What about the others? What about 
Oman. Well, Brandy, it seems like they are getting in on the action. One of our top stories this morning is about not one but two Omani IPOs that could be in the pipeline. You've been covering this one, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. Coming out from the Saudi, well, the oil, sorry, Oman State Oil Company, not to be confused with the upcoming uh, slated IPO from the Saudi Arabian State Oil Company. Um, in Oman, they're looking at two different units. One of them is production, which seems to be the, the biggie could raise up to a billion dollars. We asked Gregory Hughes, is there much appetite for investing in an economy like Oman? Here's what he had to say. Well, we saw in 2023, you know, the biggest ever IPO that's happened in Oman with um, the gas networks business. And the Oman Investment Authority, we're led to believe, is preparing to launch numerous IPOs, listing state assets to strengthen the capital markets in the um, in the Sultanate. So I, I think, yes, there is appetite there. And I think, you know, it's also been reported that there could potentially be tens of assets marked for IPOs in Oman in the coming years. We're certainly busy in Oman and, and, and working to support companies in, in their preparation activities. Thoughts of Greg Hughes, the IPO and transaction diligence leader at Ernst and Young Mina. That's uh, us looking at um, regional economies. Sticking with the regional economies, Brandy's been taking a close look at what's happening in Saudi Arabia. Yeah, so much Saudi data out, not just uh, in the last 24 hours, but over the last week, actually. Our headline this morning, though, is those GDP numbers. Uh, Saudi's economy contracting by just under 1% last year. We asked Walid Razramani, who's the national managing partner for Saudi Arabia at the law firm Linklaters, to put that in context for us. Is that number purely a story of lower oil production and prices? Largely, yes. Uh, oil production has declined. There's been a directive from the Saudi government to reduce oil capacity uh, to Aramco. That is slightly offset, but not entirely, by the continued growth in the non-oil uh, sector, as well as the increased FDI in the third quarter of last year. All right. And that uh, FDI number coming in quite strong, I think, growing about 6% in those GDP numbers as well. What we did have, though, the day before was purchasing managers uh, index numbers, the PMI numbers. They basically show us what's happening to the non-oil economy uh, in a country coming in, still growing and growing strongly, but at the slowest rate in two years. And a lot of concern around competition and, and prices and inflation. So we asked Waleed how much of a concern that was. I work mainly in mergers and acquisitions and joint ventures by foreign companies into Saudi Arabia. So far, we haven't seen a slowdown of activity in that regard. So activity in Saudi Arabia within the private sector continues to be, to a large extent, driven by Vision 2030 and a need to both onshore production and diversify the economy. And the drive in deal activity in that respect has continued to go strong. I will lead Razramani as National Managing Partner for Saudi Arabia at Link Latest House. And we are going to hear from another Saudi expert uh, with an interesting view on PIF not being a pot of gold uh, to come before the end of the show this morning. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. And digging into one of our top stories this morning with the aforementioned economist, Dr. Payne, Saudi Arabian GDP contracting by just under 1% for 2023. Uh, one of our headlines this morning, and it comes just a day after PMI data for January showed that private sector growth, while still growing, uh, was growing at the slow rate in two years. Dr. Payne is in Riyadh. He's now the Chief Research Officer for Coldwell Barker, Barker rather, Saudi Arabia. Uh, Chris, it's lovely to speak to you. Good morning. Lovely to be back on the show. Good morning to you. Emma Brooke, new job, new country. Thank you, Thank you very much. Yeah, it's, it's great. 
Thank you. And how convenient to have you now as a resident of Saudi. So let's look at those GDP numbers. Uh, The growth rate dropping by around 1% in 2023 and a contraction of more than 9%, 9 9.2% when it came uh, to oil activities. Where is the Saudi economy at the moment? Yeah, so... And I think, you know, we, we've discussed this before, I think, Brandy, but, you know, what's really important when you look at all the economies of the region is to look at non-oil GDP and non-oil GDP growth. So, you know, if you look at the fourth quarter, oil production was down 16% in Q4 of 2023 versus Q4 of 2022. But we knew that because obviously we know that OPEC is quite transparent about its production cuts and we know that Saudi is producing significantly less oil, about 9 million barrels a day. What really matters though is non-oil GDP because oil is really, it's not telling about the price, it's just telling about production volumes. And actually if you look at the fourth quarter of 2023, non-oil GDP was actually growing in the region of four and a half percent year over year, which is actually a higher rate of growth. And I think it was something like three and a half percent in Q3 2023. So actually, we saw an acceleration of the levels of growth in the Q4 of the non-oil GDP part of Saudi's GDP. And actually, quarter on quarter, if you look at it uh, seasonally adjusted, it was growing at two and a half percent, which is the highest rate of growth we've seen in two years. So, um, Again, you've got, we don't have further detail on GDP numbers at the moment. It's just the flash results for, for the fourth quarter and for the full year. But actually, the, the non-all GDP is growing quite strongly. So put aside these kind of negative numbers. There is no way we're talking about a recession here. That's purely about production volumes. But obviously, PMI, as you mentioned, uh, the Purchasing Managers Index in January, saw a slight slowdown month on month from sort of 57.5 to something like 55.5. Anything over 50 is still growth, but we may be seeing slightly lower rates of growth at the beginning of the year uh, than we were seeing at the end of the year. I mean, this isn't surprising, really. A couple of reasons I venture, which are number one, obviously there is a great deal of uncertainty in the region. We all know it. Um, and I think I wouldn't be surprised if companies maybe decide to, to lower their inventory levels rather than putting in new orders. So that, that that's one particular reason. But also, you know, economies don't just grow in a straight line. And we've had very high levels of growth for two years. Uh, you know, there, we may be taking a slight little pause, a little collective breath before before moving on. Um, but the headline numbers about GDP, going back to that, really, really don't capture what's going on here at all. Yeah, look, at some of the language in this PMI report that causes one to pause to use your language. It's talking about, you know, and while saying that the, the activity in new orders do continue to grow strongly, that there is slowing demand uh, momentum. Uh, the rates of expansion have softened. It's a forward-looking um, report as well as as one that looks at what's already happened. It said that you know business expectations for the upcoming year have dropped, the second weakest since mid 2020. Um, firms concerned about inflationary pressures. Uh, they think they could limit business expansion. What is the outlook for the private sector in Saudi at the moment? Again, as I said, I mean, I think you may be that I think this collective breath really captures it quite well. I mean, there's obviously there is the uncertainty that I talked about. However, and I can sort of now, you know, focus on what I'm seeing. Um, 
I, I don't think we're seeing any any slowdown in, in plans. I mean, if you're looking at the way that you know people are, uh, are contemplating using land, whether it be greenfield sites or redevelopment sites, um, there's still a huge intention to to move forward with those plans. And I think if you look at the bigger level, I mean, PIF, for instance, have uh, announced additional giga projects. Um, I think we're look we're moving from a period I think where you could talk about sort of planning for growth and major development into actually beginning it, you know, breaking ground, that kind of stage. And I think it's at that moment that, that yes, OK, you, was, you, you may see a slight slowdown. And then, you know, the expectations here, I would say, are for then things to sort of motor forward as the year goes on. I mean, none of us know the future, uh, but I think that's kind of the way we'd see it on the ground here. You mentioned the, the giga projects and obviously the Saudi government forecasting itself a, a, a deficit. At the same time, we have an ability to make money through a share sale of Aramco and that uh, Bloomberg report um, that a long slated second share sale could happen within months. How do you read the timing of that? Well, I think that there's been these two stories about Aramco, haven't there, in the last in the last week or so, about uh, not increasing capacity, say, from 12 million barrels of oil a day to 13 million barrels of oil a day, and at the same time um, announcing a, an additional share sale. And and both of those measures really, are, I mean, who owns who owns majority of Aramco? Well, it's it's, it's the government and and, and PIF. Um, and both of those measures are about raising cash to some extent. I mean, less capex means more money for is available to be distributed to shareholders. And at the same time, obviously, selling down shares means one entity is selling down their shares in order to raise money. And both of those, um, what that really signals to me um, is more money for investment projects. I mean, again, you know, PIF, people think of PIF. Uh, as a sort of a pot of gold, but well, it isn't. It's actually largely invested in in domestic projects, transformational projects, and I think that that requires. Obviously, you can't. Some of this is is locked up. Um, liquidity is required to invest in new projects. So, I actually think you know, to me, and it can be read various ways, but to me, it's it's not a. It's about raising money to continue uh, with the pace of expansion and to get moving some of these investment projects, which is why I sort of come back to where, what I said before, which is that, you know, I think we're, Saudi is preparing itself for the next stage, which is really rolling out these large, large developments. You mentioned what it feels like on the down on the, the ground, Chris, and we've got a minute left with you. One of the things that popped up in this PMI report was increased competition, greater competition between companies, which is pushing prices down a little. And, and we know from, from real estate agents um, that it's also causing you know massive competition for apartments and, and villas to live in as more people move into Saudi Arabia to work on these projects. What does that competition with more companies moving in, fulfilling regional HQ requirements, feeling like on the ground? What are you seeing? Well, I think that you know, most people say the same thing, which is it's it's very difficult. Oh, excuse me. It, it, it's very, very difficult to um, to actually find, um, you know, necessarily find apartments or dwellings that people uh, absolutely fill their requirements, which I think only goes to really 
tell you that, that to, to meet those 2030 vision goals regards population, then you're going to need to see significant developments. I mean, it's well understood here um, that land needs to be developed into residential units, that there needs to be more infrastructure, whether it be housing or education, in order to grow um, the expat community. Um, so, yes, I mean, we see that now. It, it's very, very clear, but that also gives you a path to what needs to be done in order to fill those, that, that vision. And you realise, being here, that everyone understands that vision, everyone wants to achieve that vision, and that actually, and that mm -hmm. really points to significant growth. Dr Chris Payne from Cobble Baker's Saudi Arabia, Chief Research Officer, thank you for your time. Catch up on the business headlines with the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Let's get more on some of those top stories now. IPOs, delighted to be joined on the line by Gregory Hughes, who is with Ernst & Young Mina. He's IPO and Transaction Diligence Leader. Morning, Gregory. Good morning, Richard. Thank you for having me on the show. Nice. Yeah, good to have you with us. Your latest report is out. And let's look to 2024 and the pipeline of new deals. You say 29 that you have heard got wind of in the UAE and Saudi Arabia. We just name-checked two of them there. There's Lulu Supermarkets. There's oil and gas in Oman. What's the story of 2024? So I think the pipeline for 2024, Richard, looks looks very strong. Um of the deals that I'm aware of that, you know, we're looking at offerings across a whole raft of different sectors. So you have companies in the consumer products and retail sector, in real estate and construction, technology, which is great to see, transportation and logistics, healthcare, and also potentially education. Um, and there is a significant amount of IPO readiness and preparation activity, which is happening at the moment in the MENA region across companies of all shapes and sizes and sectors, as I mentioned. Uh, we've seen a good start to the year already, uh, obviously with the NBC listing, uh, I think raising over $200 million and Avalon Pharma uh, also listing in the, in, in the kingdom. So a positive start to the year. Investor appetite then still there, it would seem, because the NBC one, not only was it strong on IPO, but since then they've had a very good pop in the share price. Bloomberg reporting, best reporting by some measures, IPO of 2024 anywhere in the world so far. And as Brandy was just talking about in Saudi Arabia, Aramco looking to come back for a, a second slice of the IPO pie by raising even more money. What do we know about that, if anything? I'm not asking you to speculate on individual um, IPOs. That wouldn't be fair but what do we know about the appetite for a, a major sale like an aramco i think you know investor uh, appetite remains strong in the region despite geopolitical concerns that are that are increasingly challenging um so 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 the outlook is bright it's a, and until that geopolitical situation impacts liquidity impacts valuation and secondary market activity we won't know for sure what the impact is um all prices have obviously come off last year's high, but remain broadly stable, which supports the capital market activity and government spending across the region. Most of the region, at least, remains pretty robust. So, so far, so good. But we do need to wait and see what's uh, what's happening in the broader region. If we look in the rearview mirror, your reports, and then we cover these as, as many people do on a regular basis. Every quarter, in fact, you look at the IPO market. But on an annual basis, last year was okay. $11 billion or so raised in IPOs, including some high-profile ones here, like Dubai Taxi um, and Pure Health in Abu Dhabi. But that was 
less than half the amount raised in 2022. And I was thinking, how do I read this? Is this just the normal lumpiness of the IPO market or did something go wrong last year? I don't think anything went wrong, Richard. Um, you know, these the, the, the value and uh, volumes are, are driven by specific transactions, of course. In 2022, you saw, as I've mentioned on your show um, previously, you saw the large value IPOs of Americana restaurants, Luberef, the Saudi Aramco base oil company, um, as well as the Arabian drilling company. And that contributed to the year-on-year decrease. But, you know, there were 48 IPOs in uh, in MENA in 2023, not far off the 2022 number. Uh, yes, the funds raised were were down year-on-year. But I, th- I think, as you said, it's, it's more the lumpiness of the specific companies coming to the market. Saudi Arabia says your report dominating, as you'd expect, the biggest economy in the region and lots happening there at the moment. The UAE not so far behind. The other GCC countries haven't really got into much of the action. But as Brandy mentioned in the headlines there, we've got Oman and what could be quite a big one in the oil and gas sector. Is there appetite not just to invest in Saudi Arabia and the UAE, but to go to what is, let's face it, a less dynamic economy like Oman? Well, we saw in 2023... You know, the biggest ever IPO that's happened in Amman with um, the gas networks business and the Amman Investment Authority, we're led to believe, is preparing to launch numerous IPOs, listing state assets to strengthen the capital markets in the um, in the Sultanate. So I, I think, yes, there is appetite there. And I think, you know, it's also been reported that there could potentially be tens of assets marked for IPOs in Oman um, in the coming years. We're certainly busy in Oman and, and, and working to support companies in, in their preparation activities. So if we look at some of the private sector companies that are listing, this is really interesting. Don't get me wrong, the privatizations like Dubai Taxi and Aramco are great, but it's nice to see private sector companies going public. We had Al Ansari Exchange last year in Dubai. That's a a, a storied Emirati family business. Reportedly, not confirmed, Spinney's Dubai is is planning an IPO this year, the the Al-Bawadi family. Will this open the floodgates for these historic family trading firms to IPO, if not all of their business, then some subsidiaries of the business? What's your pipeline telling you? I certainly hope so, Richard. I mean, things are looking pretty positive. You've mentioned a few names there. Um, you know, I think there is still some reluctance from you know large family-owned businesses to to open the kimono and and um, you know trade their shares on the public markets. But we've seen some good evidence over the last couple of years that um, that that is that is starting to happen. And certainly from our conversations at EY, you know, we are we are aware of a a number of potential offerings um, from that bracket of stakeholders that that could come to market in the coming years. So I hope continuing to be an exciting time in the IPO markets. Greg, thanks for your time this morning. Open the kimono is going to take some beating as today's business breakfast buzzword, but it is only 7.45, so people still have a chance. Greg Hughes there from Ernst & Young Mina. Just the highlights. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast.
Let's talk trade, let's talk freight, uh, and let's talk the Red Sea disruptions there having a knock-on effect at the moment. That was made uh, all too obvious yesterday when Egypt's Suez Canal Authority reported that revenues for January of this year witnessed a massive decrease of over 40% compared to the same period last year. Uh, That's from $804 million down to $428, significant to say the least. Uh, How significant? Well, uh, who better to ask than a man who holds a PhD in commercial shipping, uh, over 30 years, well over 30 years experience in commercial shipping, uh, chartering, ship operating, shipbroking and liner trade. Managing Director of Asta Marine Cargo is Dr. Krishna Prasad. KP, lovely to see you as always. Thanks for joining us. It's my pleasure, Dom. Good to have you back yeah. with us here on the show as well. Um, obviously, you are closely monitoring the situation in the Red Sea and, of course, the knock-on there through the Suez Canal. What? But, I mean, you look at it from a very professional and academic point of view. You look at it from a business point of view. But what about your everyday, Joe? What about me and Brandy? How does it affect us every day? <laughs> yeah, that, that's something which is uh, usually overlooked. We all feel shipping is something that doesn't concern us. But the fact is that uh, probably if shipping is disrupted or the cost goes up, it affects our even our breakfast, our, our sandwich. Where will the wheat come from? Or where will the cheese or the butter come from? Shipping is the lifeline of world trade. And if there is a disruption, it does affect us, common man. There is a disruption there. Yeah. We've seen that at the moment. So where's that? traffic going at the moment? Have we got just a massive traffic jam of containers or are they being rerouted? See, they are being, uh, definitely they are being rerouted. The latest uh, uh, statistics, uh, I think by IMF said that about uh, there is a rise in about 65% or so of the traffic via Cape, Mm. which is a much longer route. It, It takes 12 to maybe 15 days, depending on the speed of the vessel, if you go around the Cape. Mm. And that adds a lot of cost. Adds a lot of cost. And I'm sure uh, adds cost in terms of the transit element. But equally, I suppose, look, if you're bringing a container of cars, that's one thing. They're not going to perish, etc. But if you've got livestock, if you've got perishables, if you've got frozen items, then it could have much more of a knock-on effect. Not just that. See, today's world, uh, the uh, the, uh, business looks at saving costs everywhere. So you, you talk in terms of just-in-time arrival and your inventory management so tightly controlled, a delay of 15, 20 days is huge. In fact, I, I did read about uh, Volvo stopping production in one of its factories in Europe or Tesla is reducing its production all because of the supply chain disruptions. That's why I initially said the, the disruptions which is bringing in, uh, which is coming in now, it's not only adding cost, but it's also affecting your basic business. Mm. Talk to me about the cost, though. Uh, try and, I, I know it's difficult to put a figure on it, but ha- what impact are we seeing on costs at the moment? Tremendous in- increase. See, if you see from last year, say if I take a... I mean, it's not just the container ship which, which we talk normally. I mean, a major part of the shipping probably about... Uh, container shipping is only about just about 20% or so of ocean transport. 80, 80% is the the, oil, the liquid cargoes, the bulk cargoes and all other sectors put together. If you take a 50,000 ton ship, when a year back when you are paying probably about around $10,000, $15,000, depending on the value of the ship, as 
additional premium to cost this area today you are paying about $70,000 mm. it's a huge increase how high do you think it can go if this situation continues oh. what's your what's your guess ah uh, i wish i had a crystal ball that's something which very very uncertain in fact it's even more difficult for a ship operator because today if i offer you a free trade with a certain cost in mind i mean a week later when i my, my when i'm actually putting the ship to the underwriter i don't even know what the cost will be at that time so i'm taking quite a lot of risk there or it's uncertain the uncertainty factor is quite a bit and this actually drives also a lot of ship owners from avoiding this area which brings in a kind of a you should say over a period of time a supply crunch and increase in freight but are the security measures having an impact at the moment of or not of course security measures are there they are costly you got to have armed guards uh, uh, you know apart from other security steps you take on board the ship that's all also costly armed guards have to be picked up from a port and then the arms and the guards have to be dropped off in another port that brings in diversion of the ship all that is yes, it's adding to the cost okay let's have a scenario scenario is uh, an agreement of sorts is found by the end of this week does that mean by next week things are back to normal absolutely not because the underwriters for them their risk perception has to come down and that can take time like you take the earlier scenario of uh, the piracy threat in red sea even after the piracy has reduced substantially there was still an additional premium additional cost attached to it so it it's left to the underwriters the joint war committee which decides what will be the additional cost attached to it so add on to that and look at it from a client's point of view and a story that brandy's picked up on this morning of uh, one organization one food company looking to invest into air freight at the moment could companies look at alternative means and investments to get their goods from a to b yes they are they are in fact uh, uh, i was talking to one of the largest agents in uh, in uh, swiss canal he said this traffic has come down by about 42% now that's that's quite substantial uh, reduction when you consider when you know that swiss canal carries about 12% of the world sea trade mm. right so uh, it, it does have a huge impact in this this uh, this uh, disruption Dr. Krishna Prasad, out of time on this occasion, but fascinating insight. Really appreciate your time this morning. Uh, KP is the Managing Director of Aston Marine Cargo, joining us live and looking resplendent as well this morning. Thank you. It's my pleasure, Tom. Big thanks to KP for joining us live in the studio. Interesting insight there uh, from the former chairman of the Institute of Chartered Shipbrokers here in the Middle East. This is the Business Breakfast. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to dubaieye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.